This is Rainmaker FM, the digital marketing podcast network. It's built on the Rainmaker platform, which empowers you to build your own digital marketing and sales platform. Start your free 14-day trial at rainmaker.fm slash platform. That's rainmaker.fm slash platform. Greetings, super friends. My name is Sonia Simone, and these are the confessions of a pink-haired marketer. For those of you who don't know me yet, I'm a co-founder and the chief content officer for Rainmaker Digital. I'm also a champion of running your business and your life according to your own rules. As long as you don't lie and you don't hurt people, this podcast is your official pink permission slip to run your business or your career exactly the way you think you should. By the way, as always, you'll get links to extra resources in the show notes, as well as the complete show archives, and you can find those at pinkhairedmarketer.fm. So today we have a Q&A episode and a big shout out to everyone on Twitter who asked a question for this week. Uh, much appreciated, all of you. And I'm going to dive right in. I've got four pretty good, juicy questions, and the first one is from Sharon Liu. What are some fun ways to write sponsored content that sounds less ad-y? So this one, you know, is kind of near and dear to my heart. And the first thing I want to do is talk about sponsored content and something that's called native advertising, or as we called it when I did a lot of them, advertorials. And this kind of content has actually been around for a long time. So as is so often the case, the hot new thing is something that's been around, you know, for a long, long, long time. So I did a little research just because sponsored content is not technically the same thing as native advertising, um, but a lot of times we use them interchangeably. I found a nice article with the difference on Media Press Studios, and I will give you the link to that in the show notes, and they define sponsored content this way. Quote, this is strictly editorial. Sponsored content is not brand biased and focuses on informing rather than convincing the target audience. The strategy behind this is to become a thought leader in the industry and increase the value of the brand. If the audience goes to that company for advice, maybe they'll buy the products as well. So Copyblogger would more or less be an example of this. We call this an authority content model. And basically it involves showing up and just be very smart and very useful on your topic and build your authority in that topic. Uh, and then you can start to talk to people about offers. Native advertising is more of what we used to call the advertorial. So it's an ad, but the tone, the voice, the layout, the graphic design are all designed to blend into the publication so that you can't tell that it's an ad. So the key to making both of these work is actually something that Sharon identified in the question. You start with the call to action. You need to know what you're working toward. You, you need to understand what is the business purpose that this piece of content is intended to create. And you keep that in mind, but then at the same time, you have to do this kind of split where you kind of squish that part of your brain down and put on your creative writer hat or your journalist hat. So you really want to do some research. This kind of content, if you're going to do it well, requires a lot of research. What are the legitimate reasons for going with this particular company, product, or service? What do they, in fact, actually do exceptionally well? What kinds of buyers would be an excellent fit? Who would genuinely benefit from taking this desired call to action that we're starting out with? 
So the only way that I know how to do these is if you as a writer genuinely, truly, in your heart of hearts, believe 100% in the product. So you want to choose your clients or your employer accordingly and only do this kind of work for a company or a product that you think is doing something extraordinarily well. Now, for this kind of native advertising or advertorial content, the key really is to blend. You have to blend seamlessly into the publication. So if it's a research-heavy publication, then you've got to get some solid, credible numbers. You have to have data and you have to present it well and you have to present it fairly. If it's more of a, a lifestyle publication, then you look at how they use language. Things like what do the verbs look like? How many adjectives are we talking about? What kinds of images are being used to illustrate the content? So you have to match the voice and you have to match the approach. And you really do think about it exactly as if you were a freelance a freelance journalist or you know a freelance article writer and you were pitching this publication with no commercial intention at all. How would you structure it? And then you weave the call to action into it in a way that's organic to the piece. So thank you for the question. That was fun. They're really interesting to write if you do believe in the product and if you... Um, if you get enough, you know, time to, to really take your time with them, that can be really, really interesting pieces. All right. Next question from Sheik Hashiks. I'm hoping I'm not totally butchering that. And that's nothing compared to the way I'm going to butcher the next question. But um, the question here is, in today's world, do you think only content matters? In the Has the concept of B2B versus B2C vanished away? It's all about B2P people. So in other words, um, you know, have we gone to a world where B2B versus B2C, that distinction, it doesn't matter anymore. And I'm always really happy when people ask about the difference between this business-to-business content versus business-to-consumer content. Because the fact is that it has always been B2P. It's always been business-to-people. So when you're creating the business-to-business content, you have to figure out who the stakeholders are. And all that is is just corporate speak for who's involved in making the decision that you're trying to get to. So we have this mythology that when people are at work, somehow they're more rational and they're less influenced by emotion. And of course, that's absolutely not true at all. In fact, some of the new brain research is showing us that the kinds of thinking that we label as emotions are critical to all human decision-making. We can't actually be functional and make decisions without engaging the emotional part of our brain. And if you think of your own work experience, work is a very emotional place. It's driven by emotions. Now, the emotions at work are often different than the emotions in our personal lives or in our lives as, you know, consumers. And just to put it very bluntly, fear and status are highly represented in the workplace in most companies. And that's either fear of losing your spot in the hierarchy or desire to gain a higher one. But it still comes down to understanding what moves your audience. You have to get into their heads. You have to empathize with their emotional states. And those emotional states can be quite complex. And then you have to understand their complete customer experience, all the way from not knowing who you are to being a completely fully engaged customer or client. And then you use content to make that path, you know, from stranger to raving fan, easier to walk. 
So we have some posts on Copyblogger about empathy maps and about experience maps, and I think they might be useful. I will include them in the show notes. Damien Farnworth did a lot of work on these topics, and so I will give you some links in the show notes. All right, and now we get into territory of a name I have no idea how to pronounce, so I'm going to do my best. Ifeanyi Okolo. I apologize. (laughs) I'm sure that wasn't quite right. And the question is, how does a B2B company write intermediate content for clients? So, of course, this one pairs, you know, with the last question. And again, it's one I really love when people ask it. So, in my opinion, this gets to something that not enough B2B organizations do. Business-to-business companies tend to forget who it is who fuels the fire. So, somewhere, and it doesn't matter how esoteric your company is, Somewhere there's a customer who pays for something. So it might be a consumer. It might be, if you're talking about B2G, which is business to government, it could be a a citizen or a community resident or a taxpayer. Somebody somewhere is paying for a product or a service or something, and that makes the whole thing happen. And that whole chain of companies that support the company that deals directly with the customer needs to know what that customer needs. I'll just use customer as a shorthand here. So the entire chain needs to work to make that customer successful because that's what makes the chain successful. This gets really abstract, so let's get down to a a more specific example. If your company creates point-of-sale software for retail stores, then you need to understand the experience of the customer who buys from the store. So your customer is the store owner. And if you're, you know, pretty enlightened, you might even be thinking about the store's employees. But if your software makes it hard for the the store's customer to buy something, then your product is stealing fuel from the fire that makes the whole thing work. So you start with that insight. You start looking for who is the person who creates that initial fuel for the fire that that fuels the entire enterprise and all the web of companies that support that initial transaction. And then you use that insight to start making decisions about what content, if any, you might create for those people and what it would look like. It is actually the empathy and experience maps all over again, but now you have a chain of maps depending on your organization and where it fits into the larger picture and what their relationship is to that core customer. So hopefully this is helpful. It's hard with tweets because, you know, they're so short. So I'm hoping that I spoke to your question, but if I didn't, let me know and um, and we can dig into it further. And then finally, I got a question from Glenn Alsop on Twitter. He's at Viper Chill. He's a very cool guy, um, pretty young guy. He has a lot of energy. He's a great implementer. And he asked a question and I teased him that it was a snarky question, but he assures me that it's, um, he's quite sincere and when he asks it, and it's a great question, actually. What's the best way someone who hasn't connected with you before could get the attention of you and Brian? Smiley. So Glenn, it should be pointed out, already has our attention for doing epic things and being really smart. Um, but it's a great question. You know, I, I, it's, it's, it's something that we all 
deal with. You know, we want to make more connections to people who have maybe a little bit larger audiences, people who might be able to connect us with an audience for our own content. How do we do that? Uh, It's an excellent question. So in my experience, there are two super strong strategies, and then there's a third strategy that makes the first two work really well. So the first one, if you can swing it, is meet people in person and ideally meet them at small events. So for example, South by Southwest is, it can be really fun. It's very energetic, but it gets really hard to actually connect there. So you may have heard the classic Yogi Berra line, nobody goes there anymore, it's too crowded. That's like South by Southwest in a nutshell. The parties are massive and loud. The event is so spread out. And so at one time it was, you know, like the must attend, but it actually got so big that it was hard to do what you were going there to do, which is to see people you haven't seen in a year and have great conversations and make connections. So people still go there, but like we don't go there anymore because it's too crowded. Smaller events, on the other hand, let you spend more quality time with a few people. So you want to include them in your mix. And this is not denigrating big events. There are some wonderful big events. Um, But you want to try and attend a couple of small events, uh, you know, to the degree that that's possible for you. So I've got to mention, you know, cough, cough. We have one coming up in October. Obviously, I'm biased, but actually, I'm not even kidding you right now. It really is an awesome event. And it's, it's, uh, it's a great size. It's not too small. It's not too big. It's a great event for engagement. And of course, you know, you're encountering other small events as well. I've certainly had some fantastic conversations at Chris Gilbo's World Domination Summit. Um, it has grown a lot. I'm sure it's still fabulous. I haven't, just be purely because of timing, I haven't been able to make it for a couple of years. Um, but it's, it always struck me as being an event that was well-structured for engagement and connection. Uh, Liz Strauss and Terry Starbucker's event, SobCon, was legendary for this. That's where I first met Brian Clark and Chris Garrett face-to-face for the first time, uh, as well as some other amazing, amazing people who, you know, really made an impression on me. And um, there are people, you know, I see them years later and I still feel this connection because we connected at this intimate little event. You want to try to find events that are structured to allow for high quality interactions between the attendees and ideally with the speakers also. And, you know, our event, digitalcommerce.com slash summit, if you want to find out more about that, or of course, I'll put you a link for you in the show notes but it is in the middle of October in Denver, Colorado. Um, And one of the reasons that the team likes it so much is that we always just have so many um, really amazing conversations with people like you. So I mentioned there were two strategies. The other super strong strategy is to do something epic. So I realize that's probably easier said than done, but it works. So I will never forget meeting Andy Crestadina. I met him face-to-face at a larger event. He was somebody who came up to me after I had given a talk. And that's, um, you know, you can definitely meet people that way, but you have to realize a speaker who has just come off of a talk, I don't care how extroverted they are, they're exhausted. You know, it's a lot of energy to give a talk. Um, So I was exhausted and distracted and both really wanting to talk to people about what we've been talking about and 
um, a little burned out and strongly desiring to go back to my hotel room and, you know, take a nap for about an hour. So I met him face-to-face at this event. He's kind of in the line of people who have lined up to ask questions and meet with me, which again, I do love, but a lot of times I don't make a memorable connection because I'm kind of spacey. And he put into my hand his periodic table of content marketing. It was this beautifully produced, beautiful design, very smart, super clever concept, and it was executed just so magnificently. And I just had a, you know, holy cow, I used another noun moment there, right? This thing was epic. You know, it made such an impression on me and it cleared away the clutter. Never forgot Andy. Um, You know, it helps that he's just the nicest guy like in the whole world and he's really smart. But he had this incredible piece of content. He'd really put a lot of work and thought into it and he was able to actually physically hand it to me. Bang, it made such an impression. So the easiest way to do, quote unquote, something epic is to have some kind of really terrific content. You know, have a great blog, have a wonderful podcast, create a superb video series on YouTube, create some kind of content that's really memorable, that's really got a lot of personality, and that in a perfect world is also super, super useful or helpful. So I mentioned kind of a helper strategy, and it isn't quite as powerful as a standalone, but it makes a big impression, and it really helps the first two, you know, really helps give them fuel. And that is just plain show up and be nice, and then if you can, also be useful. So, you know, drive somebody to the airport. Um, Leave thoughtful and interesting comments that go beyond nice post. And, And in fact, even go beyond you know, like a paragraph of, this is really good. It helped me so much. Thank you. You guys are so excellent. I mean, that's wonderful. It feels good, but it doesn't make an impression where I'm going to remember you. Whereas a thoughtful comment that kind of does some analysis and digs into things or asks an intriguing question, that, you know, that I remember. And likewise, engage meaningfully and thoughtfully in social media. So I think of this as being like vitamins for your networking strategy. It just makes everything work a lot better. You can't live on vitamins. If you have a big jar of vitamins and that's your only food, you're going to starve to death. But it makes the food that you have, you know, just work better for your body. So I will tell it to you straight up. If you get known for being nice, then everything else that you do gets a halo from that. And so if you do something that's like really strong, like you create a really strong piece of content, that gets married to my picture of you. Like, oh, and that person is so nice. Andy Crestadina, again, epitomizes this because he is the nicest, most helpful guy around. You know, Darren Rouse, one of the nicest people on the web. And then just to really give you the straight dope, if you are not nice, or, and this one is really fatal, if you're nice to me, but you're rude or you're mean or you're annoying for my team, then pretty much you have to like cure cancer and bring about world peace before I'm going to want to talk to you. And I do see every day I see content shared on Twitter, shared on Facebook by people who, you know, behind the scenes have not been very nice, especially not been nice to my team. And I do not share it and I don't have any desire to no matter how excellent it is. And that's just how the world works. 
You know, maybe it's petty, but um, welcome to me. So for this one, this idea of, you know, expanding your network and um, connecting to people and especially connecting to people who might have a bigger audience. Um, I have an ebook uh, on content promotion and it does go into some of this in a little bit more detail. So that one is free with the My Copy Blogger library. It's called Effective Content Promotion. And if you go to copyblogger.com and you look in the product section, uh, the product tab, there's a section for free My Copy Blogger. You can just sign up and you get that one total time to get set up is probably 40 seconds. And I want to leave you with a final thought on that, you know, question of networking and particularly trying to get the attention of somebody who might have a lot of Twitter followers or a lot of subscribers to their blog or their podcast. People who have big audiences always have a lot of people who want to connect with them. And it's also fascinating to me how many of those folks who have pulled together a big audience are introverts. Like in my experience, a great majority of people, the the big name bloggers, the big podcasters are introverts. You know, not all of them, but an awful lot of them. So it's going to take some time and you're going to just need to muster like all the patience you can find. Now it helps to observe where are people easy to make a connection with. Um, So I'm very easy to find and connect with on Twitter and blog comments, and I'm rather hard to connect with uh, on LinkedIn, and I'm almost impossible to connect with on a cold email unless, man, you just hit the perfect combination of things. So don't hit me up with a cold email because somehow you found my email address. Hit me up on Twitter. That's a really easy place to start a conversation with me. And, you know, patience and a sense of humor are wonderful things. Uh, try and try and keep in mind, and it's not easy, but people are not trying to give you the cold shoulder and they don't think they're better than you are. They just have a lot of communication flying at their direction. And if they are introverts, that gets really overwhelming and really exhausting in a hurry. So I completely understand, you know, taking it personally if somebody doesn't respond to you and I've totally been exactly right there. But I will tell you, Um, For example, I go in and out. So sometimes I'm very responsive and then sometimes I get slammed and I have a lot of projects and kind of stacking deadlines and I don't respond to somebody that I really, really wanted to respond to. Even if it's somebody I know, if you get to the bottom of the inbox screen, um, you know, my distraction just overloads all my good intentions. So as much as you can when you're trying to make connections with, you know, you know, influencers or whatever kind of weird words you want to use, but just people who might have a big audience and you'd like to make a connection to them and maybe make a connection to their audience at some point. Try to assume that they're just overloaded. And, you know, truly, really, from my experience, very few of the big audience bloggers or podcasters, they don't think they're superior, quite the opposite. They, you know, they think they're ridiculous. Um, so they're not trying to blow you off. They just might be... Um, super overloaded and just very, very distracted. So your patience and your good humor will take you so far. So thank you, Glenn, for the smart question. Thank you all for the smart questions. Love answering these. If you have a question you would like me to answer, I will answer questions about marketing, about business, about mindset, entrepreneurship. Um, Selectively, I will answer your questions about social justice or pink hair. Depends on my mood that day. 
um, feel free to drop them to me. Again, you can drop them in the comments at pinkhairedmarketer.fm. You could drop them into the comments at Copyblogger. Probably the best way to get on the podcast would be to drop them um, to me on Twitter or, or the podcast show notes. So thank you all so much, and I'll catch you next week. Take care. Thank you.